Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hey, folks. So when I record these episodes, they don't necessarily just come out like that week, right? So, you know, Things happen, life happens, the world happens, and uh, it's not always necessarily reflected in the episode because they're more what we call evergreen. So in this episode, you're going to witness me at a time that is not this time. It's at a time when I was in love. Enjoy it. Think of it as like being in a, in a time capsule with me or, you know, a DeLorean. Roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. That's a Back to the Future reference. Small doses. Self-help from the hip. Small doses. We're talking that shit. Small doses. And keeping it real. Small doses. With me and them seals. It's so funky. (laughs) Welcome, y'all, to another episode of Small Doses. I'm by myself today. It's a solo web. And today's episode is one that I feel like is like really, really long overdue. Like we have really been doing small doses for five years and I don't think we've done side effects of forgiveness. And I feel like that's like really odd. Actually, you know what? Let me just look it up real quick. Have we done small doses, side effects of forgiveness? Because even if we have, y'all, we doing another one because, you know, you learn things over time. You learn things over time and you're like, hold up. Yeah, no, we've never done side effects of forgiveness. And so it's time. I want to preface with, and this is the case for every episode, but I want to preface with, this is my personal ideology. You got to do what's best for you, right? So I would hope that at the end of this, maybe I've like given you some ideas. Maybe I've like affirmed some feelings you've already had. Maybe I have inspired some thought, but at the end of the day, I'm just coming from where I'm coming from. And when it comes to the topic of forgiveness, I just off top want to say that Black people specifically be doing too much forgiving, okay? Like particularly when it comes to racially motivated behaviors, I feel like we be so quick to be like, I forgive because God told me to forgive. And I'm like, "I, I don't think that's what... God was saying in response to forgiveness. I think that at the end of the day, a lot of times when we are forgiving in those types of spaces, we are allowing for there to be a representation of weakness. And that weakness gets perpetuated and gets weaponized against us repeatedly. So even if we're going to be forgiving, we need to find another way of doing it other than let me come and hug the person who is harming (laughs) us. And I think that that for a lot of people feels like the way that, you know, we change things. But I think for me, you know, they would say, well, God's still working on you, Amanda. (laughs) But for me, I feel like you can forgive while also knowing very clearly that that person does not need to be in your space. That person does not need to receive your care, your love, your compassion. 
And that person does not need to be lifted up by you. Now, some might say, but that is the way that we change things, you know, when people are harming, et cetera. And I think there's something to be said for that in the individual sense. You know, my homeboy, Shaka Senghor, he went to prison for shooting somebody and they died. And, you know, he did 10 years in prison. And at some point he ended up, you know, writing a letter to the person's mother. And in that letter, he asked for forgiveness. And I think the caveat here is that he asked for forgiveness. He spoke of his desire and his process of atonement. And the mother did forgive him. But I think so often when it comes to forgiveness, specifically when it comes to Black people and forgiveness, we are offering it without it even being asked of us. But I think in general as people, A lot of us consider forgiveness to be a version of closure. (laughs) And closure, by the way, is, is, is a hype. So don't believe the hype. But I think the other part of it is that we actually couch forgiveness and ego a lot of times and feeling like, quote unquote, I'm the bigger person. And that's not really forgiveness at all. (laughs) Let's get into the episode. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. So, today's gem dropping is forgiveness versus peacekeeping. I'm going to start with peacekeeping. So, peacekeeping in this context is not related to the United Nations. (laughs) It's not related to, like, efforts on the ground. But there is something to be said for what that really is. And in that context... The idea is we know y'all militias or we know y'all factions don't fuck with each other, but we just want you to stop the violence so that the people who have nothing to do with this can really just exist and we can find another way to deal with your disparate points of view. When it comes to like peacekeeping within like a friend setting or a work setting or just any type of like civil interaction setting, it's really just the idea of like, I ain't really trying to have no conflict. I'm not really trying to have no issues. And sometimes we do that, even if we don't like the thing that's been done, even if we don't feel like a behavior was necessary, even if we feel harmed, we will peacekeep for the sake of not wanting to have more conflict. And a lot of us do this and think I'm being a bigger person or like I'm just trying to like not get into something. But sometimes on the other end, it's received as, oh, that person is forgiving of my misstep. And unfortunately, they say the best lessons are learned in blood. And I'm not saying that you got to fight, but unfortunately for a lot of people, if you keep peacekeeping their behaviors, they don't see it in any way as a problem for you. Forgiveness, on the other hand, does to me acknowledge, hey, that right there was not okay. And I am letting you know that I acknowledge your mistake and am giving grace to you moving past that. But forgiveness does not mean, and it doesn't have to mean, embracing 
somebody back into your space that you feel like has wronged you. And some might even say, there are certain things that people do that are unforgivable, right? For instance, someone trying to undermine your character, theft, lying. You know, these are all things that a lot of people feel like, yeah, I can't really just like jump back on the train with you after you've done this. And maybe you can provide some sort of context for why this is, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to be okay with it enough to come back to the middle. Sometimes when you're peacekeeping, you are letting somebody get, quote unquote, away with these types of behaviors. And it pushes y'all so far left that by the time you acknowledge, like, actually, this is not something I can be okay with and you would need to forgive someone, y'all done gotten so far left that you can't even, there's no way back to the middle. I think sometimes we think that in peacekeeping, we're forgiving someone's bad behaviors, but what we're actually doing in a lot of times is enabling. And so it becomes a very sketchy kind of thing. Now, of course, I'm not referencing like kids. Sometimes you just got to peacekeep with kids and you got to just deal with the conversation at a later time. You got to have the context at a later time. Anybody who's been in a relationship knows about peacekeeping in public. We're not fighting in the club. You know what I'm saying? We're not fighting at the dinner party. So we're just going to peacekeep. And the peacekeep usually looks something like a very stern face with wide eyes. That's a very parent peacekeep. Don't make me get loud in this grocery store. But I think there's also something about peacekeeping that a lot of us get stuck in when we are afraid to use our voice. Because peacekeeping can also be a result of being in an abusive relationship and applying peacekeeping because you don't want the pain again. And in your mind, you think, I am managing the situation, but the other person feels like you are forgiving them. The other person feels like you are making their behaviors okay until the next time they happen. They're being accepted in how they are harming you. So peacekeeping can be a very fine line that we have to be mindful of because in actuality, a lot of times, if you're doing too much peacekeeping, you're actually setting yourself up for a major battle. On the other side, you know, forgiveness for me, in like a real, real way, forgiveness looks like both parties identifying what the issue is and coming to terms with it. See, that's the thing. I think far too often the forgiveness part is the most pointed part and that's the victim. How often have you seen where somebody like cheated on somebody, right? And they're just like begging for forgiveness. Please forgive me. Forget because they want to be alleviated of their guilt. But honestly, they should not be alleviated of their guilt. Oftentimes, it is someone's guilt that is going to set them on the right course to not doing the behavior again. So you can't even present the forgiveness too quickly because that's not going to be the fix. And I feel like too often people are asking for forgiveness before they are expressing a desire to atone which I think absolutely needs to come before you are expecting any level of forgiveness. That's why I'm not the person who is going to get on the phone with you 
after some BS and just shoot the shit. No, because even my shooting the shit has quality. Okay? okay. Even my shooting the shit is valuable. So you don't get access to my shoot the shittery when you done shit on me. No. As I have sang before. If you treat me like shit in real life, don't try to hug me at a party. Because I won't hug you back. Yeah. No, we're not going to just gloss over because you feel like, oh, okay, she cool now. Forgiveness is a weighted thing. And depending on the infraction that the person has committed, it is not something that I feel like should be just handed out all willy-nilly. And I don't think it helps you healthy-wise in terms of your emotional status to just be willingly always like, oh, yeah, I forgive y'all for that. I forgive y'all for that. I forgive y'all for that. I don't think that's really, like, fair to you. I don't think it's fair to you. I know some people say, like, yeah, but it's it's weighing on you. It's it's a, it's a I don't know about y'all. It don't weigh on me. Someone doing me wrong and me being aware of that and just being conscious of that fact, that doesn't weigh on me. It's just something that I feel like I am conscious of. And me forgiving them without them actually asking for forgiveness is a one-sided process that I don't feel is a true, honest expression of my feelings. I know some people are able to do that. Some people are like, you know, I just decided that I forgive them. But I think oftentimes what we mean to say is I've accepted them as who they are and moved forward. I think that's what we're really saying when we say that. You know, I've accepted who they are and move forward. And in some cases, that moving forward can mean I've accepted who they are and I understand how it fits within my orbit. And sometimes it means I've accepted who they are and I understand that it cannot exist within my orbit. So forgiveness, I think, is not always properly nestled when people mention it. Because I think forgiveness, in a real way, is saying, not just I accept who you are, but I understand why you did that. And I don't want to hold that over you anymore. But I also feel like forgiveness does not mean you have to forget. And that's something that I think has been put on us for a long time. Forgive and forget. And I think forgiving and forgetting is really not smart. It's almost as not smart as like not sleeping with somebody before you get married. Like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Not living with somebody before you get married. Good luck. Good luck. It's going to be a ride. It's going to be a ride. The reality, though is that forgiveness is different for everybody. And that's what I really want to say. Forgiveness is different for everybody because everybody has different meters of where they can interact with somebody, where trust exists for them, where companionship, where actual partnership exists for them. So everyone has different things that they can manage and can't manage, that they can get past, that they can get over, etc. But to forgive is not something that should be demanded of you. Forgiveness is not something that should be coerced out of you. And forgiveness is something that you should offer in your own time. The same way that somebody should be asking for it in their own time. Don't come to me for forgiveness if you're not ready to be forgiven. 
Because once I forgive you, I expect you to not do the shit again. And so if you don't feel the capacity, the capability, if you haven't done the work to be able to do that, then we shouldn't even take this road. We shouldn't even. Because that's not really what you want. You don't want forgiveness. You want absolution. And absolution is you no longer having to be held accountable for your behavior. Well, baby, we don't expunge records over here, okay? Because you're not in juvenile. And you know what? In some places, they're not even expunging juvenile records, which is a whole other podcast. Let's go to some DMTs. I've always thought of Black media as a place where we are represented and also protected, as a place where we are uplifted and empowered. And I know that that is sometimes more shown in potential than in actuality, but on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths, we get to see it in real time. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and bliggity Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, first question. How do you move on and let go and forgive yourself for the person you used to be? Mm. Um, well, you know, they always talk about giving grace to everybody else. You got to give grace to yourself. You got to give grace to yourself because the whole idea is no better, do better. Right. So that's the whole idea. So there's a couple like basic like benchmarks. Benchmarks is not the word, but there's a couple like basic standards. Right. One, humans are not infallible. So there's that. Like humans make mistakes. Two, you are really, really, really formed by what you experience as a child. And it takes a lot of time for a lot of us to not only come to that understanding, but then to have a mature, developed enough mind to now synthesize that into growth. And a lot of people don't do that at any point. 
they just keep going with what they experienced as a child and the way it shaped them as a person. And they decide to take on those trauma traits as their personality traits. That's why when you see so many people who are like, yeah, like I went through all of this and like that's, you know, that's what made me who I am. And it's like, yeah, but that's unfortunate, right? Like you shouldn't have had to be shaped by trauma. You shouldn't have had to be shaped by pain. You shouldn't have had to be shaped by hurt. And oftentimes the way those things shape us is not always wholly into positive ways. There can be absolute positive things that you gain out of that, but a lot of times there are absolutely adverse things that are not. And when we say like, oh, I'm just gonna take all of this, it's a thing that we're doing to like manage. But then enlightenment is being able to say like, I don't have to take all of that. I don't have to be that story. That doesn't have to be my whole story. And the forgiveness for yourself is in actually, I feel the empowerment that you gain in taking the effort towards change. And I think a lot of people don't understand how difficult that is and how much courage it takes to look at who you were and honestly challenge it and honestly say like, yeah, like that wasn't really my best self. That was something else. I've had to very actively look at my own development and identify the ways in which I was actually behaving as a response to my own trauma versus as a reflection of my light. And it's embarrassing. Honestly, like that's what it feels like. It's embarrassing. Like you're like, why the fuck was I acting like that? Why was I doing that? Oh my God. (laughs) You know, like you look at the ways in which you were in a relationship And you were so like, oh my gosh, this person, that, this person, that, this person, that. And that person was that. But you were also you. And there was a toxicity that you were also bringing, perhaps. And so being able to like actually own that, that's where you start to forgive yourself because you're forgiving yourself for what you didn't know, but you're also empowering yourself to move forward with what you do know. And that's the thing. I'm not saying forgive yourself on some like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. I'm perfect now. (laughs) Like that's not the move either. But it's this, the understanding of I have to forgive myself or else I am serving the past versus living the present and moving towards the future. The forgiveness and forget part, I don't really think that's a real thing when it applies to yourself either. You better remember how you was so that you don't do that shit again. Okay? It doesn't have to be guilt that's riding on your back. It doesn't have to be something that you are constantly like flagellating yourself in. Like we're not doing Catholic shit over here where we like whipping ourselves with for our faults. Like, no, you don't got to have a bloody back for what you was doing. But I think you should always just be able to tap in with like, maybe not saying like, oh my God, I can't believe I used to do that. But saying like, oh, wow, I'm so glad I don't do that anymore. And forgiveness for yourself is also a process as it is for anybody. Like, I don't believe in this whole like, ta-da, forgiveness. Like, I don't believe in that. When we get to that one time, I'll tell the story of me and my partner, Devon, and what forgiveness looked like for us. And 
it's a process because the other side of forgiveness is also trust. And baby, trust don't just like pop up like a -a whack-a-mole, okay? Trust doesn't just pop up like Meg the Stallion out of a full knee-length squatch. Trust is something that ends up like a Jenga tower. Once it's knocked over, you got to rebuild it back up with the idea of how do I make it stronger this time? Next question. How do you navigate being triggered after forgiving someone? Y'all be having questions. How do you navigate being triggered after forgiving someone? So there's a really great show on Showtime called Couples Therapy. And in the last season, there was a woman and her husband. And the conversation that they were having with the therapist was how basically he had cheated on her and she learned this and they decided to still stay together and they have a daughter. And she was like, what they initially went to therapy for was for her to talk about how she continues to be immersed in this whole idea of him cheating on her. And she's like, you know, even though I have like forgiven him in one aspect, I still continue to find myself kind of like reverting back to the pain, the hurt, the paranoia, et cetera. And the therapist was basically saying like, you just have to decide where this lives in y'all's relationship But then she turned to the man and was like, you also have to understand that her forgiveness of you doesn't just happen and now you can just keep on moving. Like, you have to keep being forgiven. And some people will say, well, how long does it take? I mean, if you're Carrie Bradshaw on Sex and the City, you end up in a situation where you have Aiden's dog out in the street and you're walking the dog because you're still trying to get forgiveness for cheating on him with Big. And now it starts raining and yo ass wanted to go walk the dog in some damn fucking Manolo Blahnik heels. So when the dog gets away, you're running after the dog down 23rd and 6th Avenue. And now it's raining and you can't find the dog. And now you're sitting on the stoop and you're crying and you're crying because you know that this whole thing was really about you just wanting to get forgiven by Aiden for you fucking up and then the dog shows up and you're like oh my god and then when Aiden gets home you're like I lost the dog and I was doing all of this because I need you to forgive me forgive me forgive me anybody who loves sex in the city is with me right now and I appreciate you. Shout out to Adrian Bailon, my fellow Sex in the city here. And that scene is very poignant because she's literally like, I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me. And in that moment, the writing was so good because you realize that like he really hadn't forgiven her. <laughs> like they had got back together, but he really hadn't forgiven her. But she really did need to do all of that to get there. And I think in the writing, it may make some of us look at it and be like, oh, wow, poor Carrie. She had to beg for forgiveness. But it's like, yeah, because me even saying like, "Okay, we're going to try to move forward doesn't just mean all of that is gone. Both of us have to give effort. So when you talk about being triggered, that's still a part of the process. And I personally feel that the other person needs to be a part of soothing that trigger because they're the goddamn trigger in that situation. Now, I can say that about parents. So my mother is in therapy right now. My mother actually went to therapy. We're going to do a whole 
series on my mama and therapy. But my mother's in therapy, and so we've now started having, like, conversations about things that took place in the past where she just really, you know, didn't show up for me emotionally. And so she has an awareness now that she's never had in my 42 years on this earth about my needs emotionally and about, like, how to respond like an actual compassionate human being. And so I'm getting a different experience with my mom, right? But the other day, she had said something that I just felt was like, hmm, that's kind of, I don't like that. And so I mentioned it and she responded how she used to. And it triggered me. It triggered me. And I let her know it triggered me. And she apologized. She slept on it, came back around and was like, I apologize. I understand where I went wrong here. This is what I could have done. This is what I should have said. I'm sorry I didn't say that. And so it took two of us to tango in that regard. You understand what I'm saying? If she had not done that, then I would have felt duped in my forgiveness. That's the part that we all don't want to feel. We do not want to feel played for forgiving somebody. We don't want our grace to be taken for granted. And so when you're triggered, you manage it by, of course, like you need to be in control of your own emotions, right? But I think it's fair that you communicate it because the response from the other side also indicates where you guys are in the process or maybe where you need to go. Next question. What does it truly mean to forgive and not forget? How do you carry the memory slash lesson without being burdened by the action that needed forgiveness? I mean, I think burden is, you know, a lot of emotion. And I think at a certain point, you just have to carry logic. I think you have to remove the emotion and just apply the logic, right? Logically, if somebody smacked you and you forgave them, but you don't want to get smacked again, logically, don't go within arm's reach of that person. That's just the logics, y'all. Okay. Now, if you apply the emotion to that, then it's, but I want to be within that person's arms or it's, oh, but it hurt my feelings when they smacked me. All of that can be true. But at a certain point, let me just say this. Feelings are fleeting. Okay. Feelings are not something that just continue to exist in the same way consistently. Your love for someone shifts and moves and molds, right? Your grief ebbs and flows. Your frustration will also have high points and low points. All of these things are not continual. And so when we have our feelings attached to something, we have to remember that we are choosing to continue to attach it. You know, that's your choice to continue to attach feelings to something. I just had a situation where somebody who I feel like treated me in a shady way reached out because I was communicating with a mutual about it and they were like, oh, well, would you want them to reach out to you? And so I said, fine. And by the way, you know, they did reach out, but I felt like it was insufficient in its reflection of what took place, right? Now, at this point though, I also am just really not interested in a bond with this person anymore. 
the emotions and the feelings have gone. You understand what I'm saying? Now it's just logic. Oh, you operate this way. I understand that about you. That's not something I want in my circle. It's fine. It genuinely is fine. I don't have beef. I simply have awareness. So I think that's really what it boils down to when we talk about forgive and forget. At a certain point, you simply just have to acknowledge that you now have awareness. You now know that this is what it is. And it shouldn't be any deeper than that at a certain point or else it's on you. And you have to notice when it's on you. You have to notice when you're continuing to carry the burden and ask yourself, why am I carrying that burden? Is it because you really that low-key still want to be connected to this person? Is it that? Is it that that person, even though they were shady and terrible, et cetera, you still feel a connection to them in the hurt? And that's really what's going on. And then you got to ask yourself, why do I still want to be connected to this person? And if it was a narcissist, baby, because they the worst and they somehow get under your skin and into your artery system and you got to flush it like one of them teas that they be drinking. Mm -hmm. It's real. A lot of times that burden that you're applying, because what was it? You said, how do I... How do I carry the memory and the lesson without being burdened by the action that needed forgiveness? You can make the choice to say, um, now I know, and knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe, the real American hero. I also feel like when people talk about forgive and forget, they bullshitting. That's what I think. I think when people be like, oh, forgive and forget, I'm like, even rats in a lab remember, well, when I went over here this last time, I got some cheese. So I'm going to come over here again and get this cheese. That's what I got this last time. So I don't think that's really a possible thing. And I think it's just all about compartmentalizing and where you place things. And that's emotional intelligence, y'all. That is emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is you being in control of your emotions, not your emotions being in control of you. I've always thought of Black media as a place where we are represented and also protected, as a place where we are uplifted and empowered. And I know that that is sometimes more shown in potential than in actuality, but on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths, we get to see it in real time. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and belligity black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts.
McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Next question. Is there too many times to forgive an offense? Yes, twice. So, okay, in my mind, there are mistakes and errors, okay? Mistakes are things that you do that you didn't know better, right? It was a mistake. I didn't know. Errors are things that you know was a, you knew that was wrong and you did it anyway. So it's like trying to discern the difference. Because sometimes people just have bad habits. And so they got to work through you know, like my therapist always says, like, change is not linear. She's like, you know, change is not just like some straight line thing. You take two steps forward and two steps back. We come together because I buzz it's a trek. Sorry. Okay. Now, from Scat Cat, we're going to come back to it. Change is not something that just like flips a switch and ta-da, which is very frustrating, by the way. It's very annoying that change does not happen that way because it would be so great for all of us if it was just that immediate. But it's just not. So in that regard, you do end up having to repeat yourself and you do end up having to forgive multiple times. But the real question, and I had said twice, but I was, I was low-key being hyperbolic, but at the end of the day, you got to decide what are forgivable offenses for you? What's the spectrum? And when you're forgiving, what is the effort that's being made to get the forgiveness? Are you seeing any ch- level of shift? Are you seeing any level of adjustment? I know for me, like... There's just certain things that if they happen more than twice, they're not a phase. They're who you are. There's certain things that if they happen more than twice, they're chronic, right? So you have to determine what that is. And you have to determine if somebody is even aware of what they're doing. To me, it's very difficult to keep forgiving someone for something they're not even aware of what they're doing because then what does the forgiveness look like in terms of your proximity to it? If you're not even aware you're doing the thing, then how can you stop doing the thing? So I can forgive you like, oh, you didn't realize that. But I can't put myself in the path again if you still don't have the tools to realize your behaviors. You know what I'm saying? So I think that at the end of the day, there is such a thing as there being too many times that you forgive somebody. And I think the key is when you have forgiven them so many times that it looks like permission. There's an incredible film, like literally incredible film called Women Talking by Sarah Polly. It's a film that... In watching it, it changed me. To me, like that's what the best part of art is, is when it can change you and advance you, right? The film is about a group of Mennonite women. Mennonite are like deeply devout followers of the Bible, of Christianity, and they live in communes where there are often very strict rules about 
how women and girls are treated versus men. And in this film, which is based on a book, which is based on a true story, the women of this commune are being raped consistently by the men and the boys of the commune. They're being drugged with animal tranquilizer and raped. They're being raped by their brothers. They're being raped by their fathers. They're being raped by the other men of the community. And it's happening as early as like 14 and 15. And they're having the children of these people. And the film is about how the women at a certain point come together and decide, well, we're going to have to do something about this. And the decision is to do nothing, to stay and fight, or to leave. But wrapped up in all of this conversation is the idea of forgiveness. And what does that really mean? And how can they still move forward while not being burdened? by the idea of forgiveness. And one of the most poignant scenes in the film is this mother telling her daughter, I forgave too many times. I forgave too many times, and then I taught you to forgive. And we were forgiving unforgivable behavior. And it taught us not to love ourselves, essentially. And the mother breaks down crying and she's like, you know, I apologize and I am sorry for for bringing you down that road. And it's a beautiful scene and it's a turning point scene because I think what it really spoke to me about was just the reality that like there are behaviors that you just don't have to forgive. Not everybody deserves it. And not everything is something that you should have to be okay and say like, okay, I can move past this. No, you don't have to. And when we talk about in the beginning of the episode, the idea of peacekeeping versus forgiveness, a lot of times we're not doing forgiveness. We're actually doing peacekeeping. And we are telling ourselves that we're forgiving somebody, but what we're really doing is just trying to keep ourselves from having to deal with what's on the other side of letting go. Go, please, watch Women Talking. Please. It is a beautiful film. There ain't no black people in this movie. I'm just letting y'all know right now. It's a bunch of white people. But y'all, the acting is mind-blowing. Sarah Pauly is a genius. She's brilliant. The writing is incredible. And it opened a chamber of compassion for me that I feel like had been calcified by the wickedness of others. And I mean that in that I was able to watch this film with all these old white ladies that are, well, they're not all old, but that are so far from my experience, right? Like I have, there's no relatability here on a myriad of levels, but we're able to singularly relate to the fact of how do you prevent harm while still protecting yourself and your integrity and not descending to the indecency of those who harmed you? And it's a difficult thing to do. 
I mean, when Martin Luther King was really working in pacifism and trying to identify ways to challenge these terrible heathenist people out here, it was like, how do we fight them without becoming them? How? And that's the work that I think a lot of us are figuring out. But are there too many times to forgive an offense? Absolutely. You've forgiven an offense too many times when it becomes permission. Next question. What actionable steps can people take to get to a genuine space of forgiveness? Well, I think the actionable steps that people can take to get to a genuine space of forgiveness is there has to be a consistent practice of communication, over-communication, right? And of action. You know, they have something called restorative justice practices, right? So for instance, in America, right? I feel like a lot of us don't really understand, but like America has never truly asked for forgiveness for slavery. Never. And when people think, oh, what, but, 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 but we have black people that have been successful, et cetera, et cetera. Stop. There have not been enough restorative justice practices continuously for America to genuinely be a place that has asked for forgiveness for slavery. Now, Germany has done a series of restorative justice practices that they did with the Jewish community and with Germany to try to atone for the heinous actions that took place during World War II with the Third Reich and Hitler, et cetera, right? In America, the Japanese folks in World War II were placed into camps. I know they don't like them being called internment camps, but I can't remember what the name is that they do prefer. But they were put in these camps where they were then released after World War II, they were paid reparations. They were not only paid reparations, they were given the opportunity to get loans and land. And side note, and I don't know that this is a part of it, but they were basically presented as like a model minority. So where they had been put on the bottom with the black folks, they were given this elevated status to say like, okay, we done fucked up, so now we are gonna look at y'all a little better, okay? okay? When we look at the practices that are done for forgiveness, they are not just in words, they're in actions. Now, when we look at reparations, people are talking about reparations and people are speaking about the ways that reparations can exist because that would really be a true restorative justice action in this country to say, are bad. Not just for slavery, but for the centuries of practice that we have put forth to perpetuate oppressive systems against black people being able to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Which is what is supposed to be the whole thing that we're all here for in America. So that's like an example in the political sense, but ultimately it's really just like, how is somebody showing up in a way that is demonstratively different than how they showed up that they need to get forgiven for? How? You should be able to see it. You should be able to see it. And it should be consistent. And it should become a practice. And it should become so normal that it becomes who they are now versus who they were. And so I think that can show up in a myriad of ways. And everybody needs a little different, right? For some people, they're going to need a lot. <laughs> some of y'all going to need a lot. And some of us, it's like, okay, that's good. That's good. I can see where your heart is. Got it. Got it. So I think it begins also with first and foremost, acknowledging the error, the mistake, I should say. 
No, the error. Or either one. But it begins with that. I can't forgive you for something when you don't even know what you did wrong. So even if you don't know, and then I illuminate it for you, right? Do you accept that? Or are you like, well, I don't care. So like I have a homeboy who three years ago, we were having a conversation and this is somebody that I would have considered my brother. Like, I, I mean, somebody I really, really loved in a platonic way, but like, I really love this person and they know that and I know they love me. And we had a conversation where I said, you know, he was telling me that every time I would post him on Instagram, like there would all, he would always get a bunch of followers. And I was like, I feel that, but I don't feel like you really like show me love on Instagram in the same way. And he was like, well, I don't think it should matter because I don't have the same amount of like following as you. And I was like, well, it's not really about that, but it's more so just like, I get so much bullshit and heat about this like falsehood that I don't rock with black men. And I think that it would actually be really helpful and dope if the brothers that I rocked with, you know, showed me love publicly the same way that I show them love. And he literally like changed the conversation. So like, imagine me finishing that sentence and then the next sentence is, so how about those Dodgers? And one of my triggers is being silenced and not being heard. Like that's a trigger for me. So I was like, wait, did you just completely like change the subject? Yeah, because I just don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, but if you don't know what I'm talking about, why would not you just get clarity? Like, why would you simply just dismiss what I'm saying as if it has no value? Because that makes me feel like a bitch on the street. Okay. And he was like, because I don't know what the point of what you're saying is. And I said, the point of what I'm saying is that I want more support. That's what I'm saying. I would like more support and I would like it in this particular way. Well, I, you know, I don't really feel like that's like a real thing. I feel like you're pressuring me. And I was like... I mean, I'm not trying to pressure you, but I just feel like if I'm telling you that I want more support, like give me more, just give me more support. Like this is such an easy thing. And he was like, well, I don't know what you're really saying. And then I smacked the table and I was like, I'm saying I want support. And he hung up on me. He did not call me back for three years. Three years. And every time I would think, okay, let me just call him. My neck would burn. And anybody who know who've been listening to this podcast for a long time knows that when my neck burns, it is a gift. And it is telling me on the other side of this is an obstacle or conflict. <laughs> so I listened to my neck burning. So I never reached out. But then he did reach out. And when we got on the phone... I was like, well, here we are. Look, we took three years. We're finally back on the phone. And I was appalled to realize that he had done zero self-reflection. He had nothing to add to the conversation around like maybe where he had taken a misstep. Even if he had ideas of where I had taken a misstep, he had nothing to add. It was simply, you smacked a table at me. And once someone does that, all bets are off. And I was like, I don't, like we were on the phone. So it's not even like we were in a physical proximity where you may have somehow felt that me smacking a table was me smacking you, which by the way, me smacking a table is not me smacking you, but okay. It's not like the equivalent of a man like punching a wall instead of punching you. It's not the same. 
Also, we have to remember, and I don't think enough of us really pay attention to this, but your actions will absolutely affect other outcomes. So when you are ignoring somebody or you are dismissing somebody or you are erasing somebody, they're going to get louder. <laughs> like they're going to do more to be seen. And sometimes it's not just verbal. When we look at bullies in schools, that's usually a result of somebody being bullied at home. And so they're coming over here to be seen. They're coming over here to feel something that they're not getting. So his response to me was like really shocking also because it was completely lacking of love, like completely. And it was just like, oh, wow, this is somebody I've regarded in a way for a long time that does not regard me in the same way. They don't regard me in the same way. And I don't know why, right? I don't know what the reason is for why they don't regard me in that way, but ultimately they don't. And so even if he thought I did something wrong, he didn't communicate it for three years. And I very clearly had told him what I felt he was doing wrong. And he stood on it. And I think there's something to be said for the fact that sometimes, you know, when people stand on the thing that you have said hurt you, there's nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do because forgiveness begins at accountability. It begins at being able to say like, you know what? That wasn't even, even if you're like, that wasn't my intention, but I, I understand now. And I think that when we talk about actionable steps towards forgiveness, the first step is accountability. And the reality is that you have to be listening. So when we talk about like how white people in this country be doing all this talking, you can't even start to want forgiveness for how privilege has affected black folks when you keep doing so much goddamn talking. Shut, Shut the, the fuck, fuck up and listen. Stop trying to tell people their experiences are not what they are. When your friends tell you, I experienced this, this is something I felt, you can tell them that wasn't my intention. Even if you say, like, I feel like that may be something that you're applying because of this other experience, you can have that type of compassionate engagement. But ultimately, you have to start with listening. If you want forgiveness, you have to start with listening and then taking accountability. And then it becomes, how do we move forward? And sometimes how do we move forward is, what do you need from me to move forward? Sometimes you don't know. And for those of you who are handing out forgiveness, sometimes people don't know. Sometimes people don't know what you need from them. And we, I think we have to stop with this whole like, oh, you, you know. <laughs> it's like not everybody has that intuition or has been able to see that. A lot of us haven't seen examples of atonement. We haven't, unfortunately. So it needs to be modeled. It needs to be modeled. I've always thought of Black media as a place where we are represented and also protected, as a place where we are uplifted and empowered. And I know that that is sometimes more shown in potential than in actuality, but on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths, we get to see it in real time. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. 
From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and belligity Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Next question. Have you ever not been forgiven by someone? How did you move forward? Ooh, have I ever not been forgiven? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But then I ran into them at an event and was like, cut it out. You know what's interesting? The person who didn't forgive me was somebody that was upset. I feel like anytime I haven't been forgiven, it's been... Because somebody was upset at how I reacted to their treatment of me. <laughs> That's always been the reason. The reason I feel like that I've not been forgiven is because someone is just like appalled or they just feel some type of way about the way that I reacted to their treatment of me. And when it boils down to it, I'm just like, there was a chicken before the egg or whatever we want to say. I had a homeboy who... We ended up at a wedding, and then we ended up making out at the wedding. Because, you know, love. You know what I'm saying? You just, like, looking at black love, and you're like, look at you. Look at, hey, hello, look at. And now you're, like, looking at them through different eyes, through wedding eyes. And so we ended up making out. It's somebody I'd known for a long time. And then we decided we're going to go on a date. So we go on this date, and on the date, He's like a whole different dude. I've known this man for years, but we go on the date, whole different dude, yeah. <laughs> the date atmosphere was a different scenario. So we, we, I'm like, oh. And by the way, like, I had like gotten gussied up because it's a date. Your man's looked like he was going to play video games at his boy's house. <laughs> and this is somebody that could dress. So I was like, okay. And he was just like very adversarial on the date. Like, I feel like our conversation didn't flow like it normally do. I cannot stress enough to y'all that this was my friend before this. And it just was like a very kind of like awkward time. So I was moving to L.A. shortly thereafter. And I remember at the end of the day, I was telling him how somebody had told me that like, oh, it's good you're moving to L.A. because people don't like you. And he was like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I was like... You know, that's just not a nice thing to say to somebody. It's not even a necessary thing to say to somebody. And he was like, well, I'm just saying, like, there's been a lot of times where, like, I've had to defend you. And, again, that's somebody not listening. See how I just said, like, that's not a nice thing to say to somebody like that. That's, like, hurtful. They didn't want to hear that. And so we sat in silence for 20 minutes. 
No, that's an exaggeration. We sat in silence for 10 minutes. But by the way, 10 minutes is a very long time to be in silence with somebody and you're not in front of a TV screen. So then I was like, all right, well, I got to pee, so I'm going to head on uptown. And we got up and this man gave me a chest bump, <laughs> not even a hug. And I got on the train and I went home. And so the next day we talked and I was like, you know, I really didn't like how last night ended and I really feel like it wasn't really cool. And he's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I mean, I was just keeping it 100 with you and you just didn't like that. And I was like, I just don't feel like it was necessary in that moment to keep it 100 with me in that way. Like, I don't feel like that added anything to the situation. I don't feel like it was coming from a kind place. So, like, that's where I'm at with it. And he was like, well, I, you know, that's just what it is. I was like, you know what? Don't come to my going away party. Because if this is the energy you're bringing, you clearly don't want to be in touch with me when I'm gone anyway. So, like, we could just cut it right there. So, he did not come into my going away party. And then I blocked him. Year and a half later, I unblocked him. And I reached out. And he was livid that he had been blocked and that it was unacceptable that I had been blocked. And he was blocked on Instagram. It wasn't like he was blocked on my phone, but he was just like appalled that he had been blocked. And I thought he was joking. He was so mad that I thought he was joking because I also thought he was joking because it's like, but you know how you were talking to me. Like, you know how you treated me. Like, I don't understand why you acted like this is not like a response to something. But apparently being blocked on Instagram was an unforgivable response. Two years later, I reached out again and he was still like completely just unbelievably not willing, just unwilling, and thought it was absolutely egregious of me to think that he would have been okay with it. But then we ran into each other backstage at Charlemagne's show. And I was like, so are we still on this or what? <laughs> he was like, okay, fine. Because ultimately, what are you not forgiving me for? For responding to you? Because you haven't asked for forgiveness from me. I've actually asked you to forgive me for blocking you. You had really upset me, and I didn't want to hear from you. Mind you, he never asked for forgiveness. But at a certain point, you just be like, peace keep. We backstage. But also, you start to understand other people, and you're just like, that's the thing I should do with me. Like, whatever whatever you going through, that, that ain't even about me. So that was sometime that I hadn't been forgiven for, like, a long time. I'm trying to think if I've ever had any situations like that with any homegirls. I mean, right now, like, a family member of mine refuses to forgive me for telling them to fuck off. For responding to a trauma that I experienced in such a selfish and disgusting way that that was really the only words I had for them. Fuck you. But now they still trying to talk about it. And I don't crave their forgiveness at all. The other thing about it is, y'all, I'm a cancer. Let me tell you something about a cancer. We are loyal to a fault. Like, ride or die was for cancers, okay? But once a cancer decides that they are off the ride, they don't care if the relationship dies. For real. So ride or die exists in two ways for cancers. And I know some people are like, oh, I don't believe that astrology shit. All cancers believe in astrology. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say that. I don't know if that's true, but I'm going to assert that. Cancers, we believe in astrology because we all the same. And it's very, very real. We do not play about that. Once you have crossed us to a certain point and we flip that switch, baby, we could be in a room of 100 people. And the only person who knows that you don't see them as alive is that person. It's a gift. Next question. Can a narcissist apologize and be sincere about it? No. 
I don't think so. Because I think once you're a full-blown narcissist, like every effort you make is to serve you. So that apology is really just to serve you being back in their good graces. And this coming from somebody who's really experienced a narcissist in full swing, a covert narcissist. He would do these things where he would have like what seemed like moments of like real clarity and cognition. You'd be like, oh, like he really gets it. And he would apologize in ways that just were like, this is not a fake apology. Like this is somebody that really sees, they see themselves. But I think it was really kind of like, okay, you know how there are people who will tell stories about how like when people are suffering from dementia or they're suffering from Alzheimer's and they'll have these moments of lucidity, but then they descend back into the disease. That's what I feel like happens with certain narcissists. They have flashes of lucidity, but they don't live in it because they don't live from it. They don't see any value in existing from that place, so they don't inhabit it. It may just pop up for what, I don't even know the reason necessarily that it may pop up for, but it ends up popping up and then you take it as, they're changing, changes. No. Phases. That's what it really is. It's a phase. So I don't believe so. I think the other thing too is that the word narcissist has become a really big buzzword where a lot of us are like using narcissists like real loosey-goosey and ultimately it's like, yeah, but there's also like narcissism. Some people just have narcissism. You know, they're not really narcissists. They're narcissism. And I think it's really just a matter of like, oh, well, we're not going to look at this person in a holistic way as a narcissist. You know, it's narcissism. And those people can apologize because they still have the capabilities of looking at themselves as a person, not just looking at themselves as something that needs to get served. That That one time. (laughs) Actually, y'all, you know what? I think this should be our Patreon clip. So if you want to hear about what forgiveness looked like for me and my partner, Devon, I hate the word partner. I'm going to use husbo. Someone said that on my Instagram the other day, and I just thought it was a great one. My husbo, V-E-A-U. Devon, then head on over to theamandaverse.com and join us, the SEAL Squad. I've always thought of Black media as a place where we are represented and also protected, as a place where we are uplifted and empowered. And I know that that is sometimes more shown in potential than in actuality, but on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths, we get to see it in real time. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and bliggity Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts.
McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Last Dose. So this episode to me, I feel like it was cathartic in a certain way because I had some things on my chest. But I also feel like there's so many, like I couldn't believe how quickly, like we literally got questions when we posted this because people were so ready to talk about this. So many of us feel like we are trapped by other people's behaviors and the expectations of what we're supposed to do with their behaviors. You know, so many of us feel burdened by like, you have to forgive this person. We've had family members tell us you have to forgive that person who hurt you because it makes it uncomfortable for everybody else that they're unforgiven. Fuck that. Don't fall prey to that. Don't fall prey to that. Nobody should be forcing you to forgive people. Not even the person. When people come to you, you got to forgive me. You got to forgive me. No, they can plead, but they can't force. They can't demand. And ultimately, I just also feel like you got to forgive people on your own time. I don't think it's fair that people are like, why haven't you forgiven this person yet? Or, you know, like even when I was like telling homeboy, like, are we, can we get past this yet? If he said no, then it's like, well, I just got to eat that. (laughs) I just got to eat that. I mean, I felt like, you know, he was corny and being so unforgiving when he was actually so sideways. But ultimately, I just got to eat that and choose how I want to proceed. You cannot force people to forgive you. All you can do is express a desire to be forgiven and keep it moving. I'm still mad about Offset coming on stage when Cardi was performing, demanding forgiveness. That was a real invasion. I mean, they worked it out, but for me, I just felt like, hmm, that's that. Why you? I don't like that. I don't like that. But for ultimately, I feel like forgiveness is a choice that we make and it doesn't have to be riddled in burden. It's just, we're in this world and it's all of us here together and we're all trying to figure out how to move and live and shift and thrive and it's difficult and you're trying to do that in the best sense possible, a lot of us, and some people are not trying to do that in the best sense possible, but you gotta move in the way that is most healthy for you. And ultimately that is about being conscious of the fact that What is going to hurt you is not going to help you. And if you can forgive, you get to determine how close that exists in your space. I can forgive you in my heart without giving you access to my circle. And that should be okay. Forgiveness has boundaries with it too. So that right there is all I got to say. And actually, I'm going to have more to say because I'm definitely going to have to write about this in the next book. But I'm bummed. 